This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Rock Dog Radio, Pets, People, Pop Culture. It's a rock and roll show all about pets, people, and pop culture. So glad you're here today. Lots to talk about, lots in the news, all kind of information. It's going to be a show that's chock-a-block with tons of stuff. Now, before we get started, I want to tell you who's in studio with me today. And it's Mr. Twix and Miss Thornton. Galaxy looks down on us to make sure we always do a good job and looks out for us. And usually my husband is here, Jim, but today I'm solo because he's got a very exciting weekend and he is playing the Kennedy Center. How exciting is that? So last night was their first night. He plays with Frankie Moreno in the Frankie Moreno show and they were backed by a hundred piece orchestra. So super exciting times for, for Jim. And tonight, he gets to do a second night, do it all over again. All I heard was that there were six standing ovations. I'm not surprised. Trust me, the show is phenomenal. And uh, they've had a really fantastic time. And as I say, another another night tonight. So very, very exciting for Jim. It's a shame I couldn't be there. I am very busy right now. (laughs) And all I want to do is actually leave town and get a little break. (laughs) But... It's just been one of those kind of years this year. <laughs> We've been very, very busy, but very, very excited for Jim and uh, and the whole band and for Frankie and uh, for, for Lacey, Lacey Schwimmer, um, his, uh, his girlfriend, but she's also the choreographer. She performed as well tonight with her brother Benji, and you will know her from Dancing with the Stars. So I, I, I am living vicariously through everybody's photos and videos right now, and it's just very exciting times, and I'm, I'm very, very proud of everybody and... Uh, I know that people were wowed. They were wowed last night. I know it. And if you do get a chance to uh, see Frankie Moreno, and they do tour uh, around the country and out of the country, but they also play here in Vegas, then I recommend you go and see the show. And if you haven't seen the show in a while, you're due to go again. <laughs> so that's what's going on there. So I'm flying solo, which is fine because I fly solo a lot. Now, before we get the show started, let me tell you where you can find us on the internet. Our main website is vegasrockdogradio.com. Once in a while, we'll be on um, Periscope. And of course, you're going to find us on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Tumblr, 
and Instagram. And if you like to read blogs, then we do have a blog and it's the rockandrolldog.com. And that's where you'll see my reviews, my giveaways, who's coming on the show and who's been on the show. We like to let people know every which way possible who's been on the show so that you don't miss a show. And if you do happen to miss the live show, which we love the live show, then of course you can go to the standard iTunes and you can go to iHeartRadio and you can go to Spoke, which is the new Sirius XM podcast app. And you can find the show there. You just search for Vegas Rock Dog Radio. And if you use a different app for listening to podcasts, then just search Vegas Rock Dog Radio. You'll find us. You can also search our pet tip of the day. You'll find the pet tip of the day. And it's just a quick 30 second minute blurb of a, you know, of a tip for pet parents. And we have lots of them, lots and lots and lots of them. We have a lot of traffic. People will, will uh, click over to the pet tip show and listen to 20 pet tips. I mean, it takes you 10 minutes, <laughs> if that. And hopefully uh, they're good tips and you uh, walk away with a little bit of information. Well, let's start with my weekly update. <laughs> And, uh, you know, this week I've spent more time with animals than I have with people. When I counted up the amount of dogs, it was all dogs last week that I'd actually met. It was 10, 10 dogs. <laughs> so I've decided that needs to be my weekly quota. You probably hear some little tippy tappy paws running in the studio here today. Uh, so that's my goal. 10, 10 animals a week. And I'll be happy as long as I hang out with a bunch of animals. Well, talking about more animals, uh, kittens, kittens and more kittens. Let me tell you what happened with my friend Alicia this week. So she goes on a nightly walk with her two dogs, Odie and Gracie. And she comes across a pregnant, very skinny, pregnant stray cat. Being the animal lover that she is, said pregnant mummy cat came home with her <laughs> and she gave her a name and her name is bug because she's a love bug she's a gorgeous gorgeous tricolor cat i'm sure there's probably a technical word for that i'm sure of it <laughs> but she's absolutely beautiful sweet little face and so alicia's brought her home and thank goodness well on a certain level both Alicia and I attended Kitten Lady's neonatal kitten care class, and that is Hannah Shaw, in case you're wondering who the Kitten Lady is. And if you did not catch my show with, with Kitten Lady, go back in the archives a few weeks and you'll find it. You'll learn so much about neonatal kittens. But what we did not learn was how to, how to birth a cat. And so she reached out to me and I said, well... I know nothing about that, and she knew nothing about that. But the great thing is, because I work with so many rescues, I always know somebody that can help. So I reached out to a friend in rescue who does a lot with cats, and she said, oh, I can get you the right resource. And so this is wonderful because, you know, if you don't know how to birth a cat, you need to reach out and get some help. And I'm really glad that she did because we're now in touch with the right person. And it was all moving rather quickly because the very next day I get this text from Alicia and all it said was, kittens are happening. And happen they did. Six of them. Six adorable, adorable little kittens of all colours. They were all the colours of the mother. And they're doing very, very well. And what Alicia said was, I can now claim that I have had kittens. <laughs> and she has had kittens. And I guess there's nothing like learning on the job, which is exactly what she did. And so she was there for the mummy cat and the babies. And they're all doing incredibly well. And all they do is feed and sleep, feed and sleep, feed and sleep. And, and the mummy feeds them and feeds herself at the same time. She's a multitasker. And she's, uh, I call she's like a boss lady, I said. She's very much like a boss lady. And within a day, those kittens looked completely different. They, their fur started to look fluffy and just, just fantastic. It was hard to see where one one began and one ended because it was just a big blob of them <laughs> hanging on their mother but doing incredibly well incredibly well and mummy's hungry uh and she will be if she's feeding six kids six kittens but doing incredibly well and so this is where i get to 
meet my animal quota for the week because I am going to pop over and see the kittens today. Six kittens, one cat, two dogs, a tortoise, and she has other cats. I'm way over my 10 quota, and that makes me very, very happy. Her newest, uh, well, I'm saying her newest adoptive pet is, I'm saying the cat, really, you know, adoptive, I don't know what's going to happen. If she's going to keep the mom, I have no idea. But she did adopt a tortoise called Chester. She calls him Chet, and she's very funny because she sent a picture of uh, Chester outside the door of the bathroom where the cat and the kittens were. And she just captioned it, you know, the nervous father anxiously waiting. <laughs> so we've had some fun on text over these, these kittens showing up. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Now she does have the support, which is great for the kittens to eventually be adopted out. And that's going to be at eight weeks old, if not a little bit later, because that's the time frame in which they get to grow, become strong and healthy. You never want to take take any kind of animal from their, their mothers, you know, early. I mean, you hear of it and it's just it's terrible. You really should not be doing that. Kittens need to stay with their mothers so that they've got the best chance at being healthy. And so I have to say to Alicia, congratulations <laughs> on your six kittens and a healthy mummy cat. I just thought it was uh, it was really, really a funny thing that happened all so quickly. And as I say now, she's got the experience. She'll be my go-to. She'll be my resource for anyone else that reaches out to me and said, hey, I've got a cat here. I was about to have some kittens. And she was right because Alicia said, you know, well, this cat's about to pop. And she was right. So that's been my week. As I say, I get to fill my animal quota. Can't complain about that because that's a wonderful thing. It's it's good to be around animals. It really is. They make you feel great. And last week I met up with Osso, who was saved from living outdoors. He was born with no eyes, so he's not known sight ever, but just left and neglected in a in a backyard. And luckily, he was saved by uh, Connor and Millie's rescue here in Vegas. And my lovely friend is fostering him. And, oh, I met him and I gave him his first puppuccino. Oh, what a great little dog. Now, people thought he was Pomeranian. He was so overgrown that he did look like, well, kind of like a giant Pomeranian. So it was like, I've never seen a Pomeranian that big. And it's no, it's probably thought that he's a different breed, but beautiful boy deserves a great home with someone who's very mindful. And I don't mean, you know, when I say mindful, I don't mean, oh, you know, he, he can't see and worrying as in, you know, okay. So, you know, kind of putting yourself, I'm saying his shoes in his paws, which is if we're going somewhere, he can't see these are new noises. It, it could be a little bit upsetting for him. You know, till he, you know, any animal that can get used to noise over time uh, gets more comfortable. So it's just you just have to be mindful because while we were there having the puppuccino, someone fired up this really noisy motorbike, which scared the living daylights out of all of us, in, including Osso. Now those situations you, you can't control, but you just have to be, I guess, more aware of you know what can affect them when they can't see. What are they hearing? So, wonderful boy. I'm sure he's going to get into his home very, very quickly. And, uh, oh, he's cute. Oh, he's got a cute face. They shaved him down, this little lion cut. Oh, he's, he's so adorable. But if you're interested in adopting him, then what you can do is you can reach out to Connor and Millie's rescue. We've got a lot of activity in the studio today. And I wish I had a camera in here right now because Mr. Twix has, has been on my studio desk. Yeah, he can jump on anything. So he'd been up on the desk and he drank all of my water. <laughs> you know what's funny about him? I always take water to bed. He now believes it's his water because the minute I put it down and then go to brush my teeth, he is on his back legs and he's drank all my water. So last night was quite funny. I, I go to bed and he stood by the bedside table looking at me and in his head he's saying to me, Where's my water? You forgot my water. Where's my water? So <laughs> I said, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot your water. I'll let me go get it for you. <laughs> and he came with me. Yeah. And he stood right by me 
right by my fridge while I got him his water. I take it in the bedroom and like clockwork, he's on his back legs having a good old drink. So I will get some video of that. It's very cute. And my dog is very hydrated. I have no, <laughs> no concerns with that whatsoever. Me, on the other hand, I'm dehydrated, completely dehydrated all the time. So he does make me laugh. He's got me well well trained. He's certainly got me well trained. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about let's talk about this little bit of news. Not not the greatest of news, and that is that nearly forty people got sick after playing with pet lamb puppies, and the CDC have uh, said that nine people have been hospitalised. It's not good, is it? So the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention announced uh, this past Monday that nine, 39 people contacted a bacterial infection from contagious puppies at the pet store uh, chain Petland. They're all over the place. We always encourage people try and adopt. It's, re- it's really important that we, we save these animals that are in shelters and in rescues and, and try not to buy. That's why we say, you know, adopt, don't shop. Because this is what happens. Reputable breeders do not put their pets in stores. So the pets that come come from the in the stores, arriving in the stores, are coming from puppy mills, and puppy mills are just horrific places for for animals, and particularly for the breeding pair. The breeding pair never gets to leave a puppy mill ever, 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 ever. And so, really, the lucky ones are the cute puppies that have not been looked after. They have not been well fed. They have had minimal care at the very best, and they're in cramped, filthy conditions, absolutely horrible conditions. And then they end up in, in these stores. Petland's one of them that sells that sells puppies. And you can imagine, and this happens a lot, is people buy, buy these pets from pet stores, and within a couple of days, there's all manner of health issues going on. They don't have the best start in life. They really don't. And so then you get one and you've paid a lot of money thinking you're getting this, that and the other. And then you end up spending more money in the veterinarian's office. Now, a lot of people will say, and I think it's only because they feel guilty and it's okay. Don't feel guilty. I just feel that once you know where your dog came from and and you do feel bad about it, then just don't do it again. Don't do it again. You know better, so you do better. And so I think out of guilt, a lot of people will say, yeah, but I, you know, I, I rescue, I rescue, I really rescued my pet. And it's because they feel bad. They see them in, in these cages and no one wants to see any animals in cages and they feel bad and they go, I've got to take that dog. But what I have to say is the money that you pay, you are funding that dreadful operation and you're paving the way for another dog to show up in a pet store, which means there's more breeding these horrible facilities so don't use that term because that's not what you're doing. You are actually funding the operation. You can say, I didn't know. And uh, gosh, that will never happen again. Because when we, when we cut off the supply, it's all supply and demand. When we start to cut off that, that whole, mm, no, I want a rescue pet, then that's when we'll see changes. And obviously some kind of um, laws and inspections put in place. They're not very strong, so that's why... You know, these places exist and it's horrible, absolutely horrible. So, you know, there's a lot of disease in puppy mills. And so it doesn't make, it doesn't surprise me that they've, you know, had this infection pop up. And so out of the 39 people who sought treatment for this, and I'm going to say a big word here, I hope I say it right, Campylobacteriosis. 12 are Petland employees, while the other 27 people either visited the store, purchased a dog from the chain, or simply came in contact with a Petland puppy. And nine people have been hospitalized so far. So that could be your friend got a dog and you went over to see the new puppy. Next thing you know, you've picked up the bacteria as well. And although they say it doesn't go human to human, what if you've already got pets in the house and you bring in a dog that's got it, I mean, now you're going to be in a lot of trouble. So Campylobacter, a bacterium found 
in the gastrointestinal tract of animals and people alike is one of the most common causes of diarrhea in people and generally linked to contaminated food like raw milk, poultry and meat. And this was according to Jeanette O'Quinn. She's an assistant clinical professor at Ohio State University Department of Veterinary Preventative Medicine. That's a long title there. Um, she says contact with animal or human feces containing this, this bacteria can also spread the disease through accidental ingestion. Ew. And according to the CDC, people infected with this bacteria experience bloody diarrhea, which would be terrifying if you saw that, fever, stomach cramps, nausea and vomiting within two to five days of coming into contact with the bacteria. It cannot be passed from person to person. This you do need to know. Here's the thing. You might have a hard time figuring out why you got so sick if you don't display these symptoms until two to five days. You could easily say, oh, it's some food I ate. You might not even make the connection if you'd been in a pet store and you'd played with the puppy or you went to see your friend's new dog. You just don't know uh, once it starts to show uh, the symptoms. So, uh, as it says, it's, uh, according to the CDC, people infected with this bacteria have these horrible, horrible symptoms. And uh, the World Health Organization reports that severe and sometimes fatal cases can occur with young children, of course, elderly, those that are infirm, and people with compromised immune systems. But most cases are mild and generally resolved without treatment. Puppies who have this bacteria can experience vomiting, loss of appetite and low energy levels, though O'Quinn even says seemingly healthy puppies without symptoms can be contagious. And according to the Veterinary Centers of America, most veterinarians prescribe antibiotics to help rid of this infection. Not all puppies, this was a quote from O'Quinn from pet, stars and pet stores, are infected with this bacteria. But make no mistake, this is not her quote, this is me speaking, make no mistake, you're more than likely not getting a healthy puppy in the first place. You really are not going to be getting the best of the best. But she says this dogs, uh, she stressed that dogs housed together in cages where they also poop may be more prone to contracting and spreading these infections. And this is another thing about puppy mills. They're not let out to play. They're stacked in metal crates on on the uh, on on mesh. Not mesh, what's the word? Gr I don't know, grid? No, great type. But just not even, not a flat surface or anything, which is dreadful for their feet. But the reason they do that is just that they poop and it actually falls through the crate, through the cage. And sometimes they stack them seven and eight high. It's horrific. So you can imagine that's going to be very easy for any kind of disease to spread. Very, very easy. So... The bacteria can easily be picked up during play with other puppies or from the environment and then ingested during grooming. Yeah, I don't mean grooming as in going to the groom, as in grooming themselves. And the spokesman at the CDC told the Washington Post that public health officials aren't sure how common this bacteria is in animals. And in an email statement to HuffPost, Petland said it's cooperating with the CDC investigation. Petland immediately provided the CDC with complete access to their stores, their staff, their veterinarians and their operating procedures and pets. The CDC has not identified any failures in Petland's operating system that would lead to any this, this bacteria infection. Here's the thing. You've got to rewind a little bit further. See, but where are these animals coming from? It may, it, may, it may be that everything's followed perfectly within the store, but let's find out. How on earth could it possibly end up here? Uh-oh, we've got animals coming from these puppy mills, or what they call, you know, reputable breeders. But as I say, reputable breeders don't put their pets in pet stores. Oh, all those buzzwords. <laughs> and all those buzzwords that actually fool people. I don't like it. I find it to be very, very dishonest, very dishonest advertising. And uh, it really just prey on people. It's it's just not right. So in order to prevent coming into contact with this bacteria, they advise that potential pet owners to look for bright, alert and playful dogs, free of feces and schedule a visit with a veterinarian shortly after purchasing the dog. People should not let their dogs kiss their faces and should wash their hands every time they come into contact with dogs, taking special care when handling dog poop. Well, don't know about the kissing thing for me. <laughs> I kiss my dogs all the time. All day. All the time. And I find it quite interesting that they say take special care when handling dog poop. 
because I don't know anybody that picks up dog poop with bare hands. I don't know any of that. They said they advise you to use disposable gloves when picking up or throwing away feces and disinfecting the area. Yeah, no, I, I, most people, I think, you know, if they'd got a dog that's got this, this bacteria or just in general, they usually wear gloves or the poop bag is the glove. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't imagine, I can't imagine people don't, you know, protect their hands. So there you go. So that's the update. Who knows how many more people have been infected by this? It's dreadful. Uh, I think it could be the silver lining. We never hear anything about puppy mills and, and dogs ending up in these stores. And we, it could be the silver lining. Uh, all of a sudden, we're concerned now because humans got sick. But it, I think it'll, it'll be a silver lining where people will say, well, how? And how are the dogs sick? That How did that happen? And that's good. That's really a good thing when uh, you can always see a silver lining. Well, since I kind of, kind of finished on a silver lining note there, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about rescues and dog training. Yeah, it sounds like a normal thing. Let's talk about it when we get back. You're listening to Vegas Rock Dog Radio with me, Sam, your host, Queen of Rock and Roll Dogs. Vegas Rock Dog Radio. Pets. People. Pop culture. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com They called it elephant skin. It was rough, wrinkly, like a Brillo pad. His hair was falling out in clumps. Petey stopped eating and all his hair fell out. Our golden retriever, Sundance, he scratched incessantly. There was hair all over. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. 859-428-1000. The omega-3 fatty acids. Flaxseed, zinc, alfalfa. The digestive enzymes that are cooked out of regular dog food. Dynavite is nutrition. Within two weeks, the shedding slowed down to almost none. The scratching went away after a few days and... Sundance's coat was starting to get shiny and glossy. It's a 180 turnaround. His skin has cleared up. He is not in pain. If your dog has shedding, dry skin, excessive scratching due to Dynavite. 859-428-1000. 859-428-1000. Dynavite for life. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back everyone, you're listening to Vegas Rock Dog Radio. I'm Sam, I'm your host of Vegas Rock Dog Radio. Right, so, before the break we talked about poop and bacteria. How gross is that? But (laughs) it's an important thing. It's when you notice changes in poop that you realise something's not right. So you do have to pay attention to poop. Can you believe I'm saying that? We should say poo in England. It sounds nice. <laughs> it sounds so much nicer if you say poo. Well, I want to talk about rescues and dog training. I found this great article, really great article, by Alex Andes. I'm not sure if that's a gentleman or a lady who wrote this excellent article on Victoria Stillwell's website, Positively. And the title was, When Good Rescue Groups Make Bad Dog Training Decisions. I thought, yes, I want to read on. I do want to read on. And so Alex tells us how, and I'm saying his, because I'm not sure if it's a guy or a girl, his dog Penny overcame extreme anxiety and fear issues without the use of force or intimidation. And the scene is set with this paragraph. Dog is abused, abandoned, neglected. Dog is rescued. Dog has behavioral issues stemming from a difficult past. Rescue group calls in a trainer who puts a shark collar on the dog to fix him and make him adoptable. And Alex says it happens all too often in the rescue world. Alex has worked on all sides of rescue for many years, from temperament testing in dog shelters to fostering to helping rescue groups find force-free trainers. And like, unlike Alex, you know, myself, I've seen 
the good and the bad in the rescue world. You just do. He writes that he finds it especially terrifying when he sees a pit bull rescue using punitive trainers for their dogs. And he says, I'll never forget a video I saw of a trainer using a prong collar, you know, for corrections to teach a dog their place cue. Unbelievable, he says. Any force-free trainer could have taught the same cue in less time and with zero stress on the dog. And this same trainer works frequent, frequently with rescue groups, in particular with pit bull rescues. Many of them have in, endured unimaginable abuse and neglect, and to put them through the stress of shock collar training or otherwise adversive training is nothing short of irresponsible. And he's correct. And if you fight fire with fire, he says, when dealing with an aggressive dog of any breed, you are asking for a dog that's going to explode. And he said, I understand how stressful it can be when a dog is pulled from a shelter and develops behavioral issues in a foster home. Here's the thing. Dogs do not know instantly that they've been saved. They don't. All they know is they came from a bad situation. Some strange people picked them up. Strange, caring people, of course. And they either ended up in a rescue or in a shelter. And if it's a shelter, it's a very scary environment with other animals that are scared. It's typically very, very loud. And dogs don't do well in shelters. They just don't. They're stressful environments. And I think we have to often look past that because sometimes they get assessed based on that. And you think, come on, you know that they are highly, highly stressed. So once you, you then pull a dog as a rescue or you adopt a dog from that stressful environment, the dog doesn't in its head go, oh, yay, you know, I, and now I'm, I'm in my new home. They just know another strange person that they're going to be with for the rest of their lives now just to come out now I'm in a strange house strange people oh my gosh there are other animals in here so you can imagine how they feel and I think when you're a foster when you're a rescue when you adopt you have to lots and lots of patience lots of patience because you could be pulling a dog that's got behavioral issues existing ones it could be that it amplifies once they get in your home. It, there's a lot of insecurity and stress in those situations, and it takes time for them to decompress. And so I do agree with Alex, you know, that that rescue group volunteers obviously want nothing but the best for their dogs, but they're not always well-educated in that area. And so this is what happens. A lot of these trainers, I'm doing my air quotes again, Offer the shock collar as this quick, miraculous method of training, which is actually a dreadful, dreadful, archaic way of, it's not even training, it's just not training, but it's, it lures people into this sense of this false sense of security that this is going to happen quick and oh, wow, that's a miraculous, oh my gosh, my dog just stopped jumping on the couch, amazing, and we know that's not the case, but... People love a quick fix. They love to see something fast happen. They love convenience and they love low effort too. <laughs> they really do. So you can see why it's very, very appealing. It can also be appealing to a rescue because they think in their head, you know what, and get that dog into a home so much quicker than if, you know, we didn't do any training. So here we go. So Alex writes that the nature of shot color training just about guarantees that you will not absolve the root of a behavioral problem. And yes, it might stop the behavior in the moment. And here's an, here's an example. He says, let's use aggression. For example, when you are channeling the fear and frustration that's causing the aggressive behavior, when you use, no, he said, where are you channeling the fear and frustration that's causing the aggressive behavior when you use an e-collar? If the dog is no longer reacting, yet you have done nothing but correct the unwanted behavior he says a much more sinister thing could be happening under the surface. First, you have to see that fear and frustration appear in new ways or, and sometimes in unwanted behaviors. Or that the dog has had its stress and fear signals ignored for so long that it has entered a state of learned helplessness. The dog is just mentally shut down. It's shut down. And here's a great example. It says, if you are afraid of spiders and I smacked you on the head every time you reacted negatively to the sight of a spider, would you suddenly begin to like them? Certainly not. Externally, you may stop reacting negatively for fear of being smacked. That's where it comes in. Now, now, not only are you frightened of spiders, 
I'm also scared that you're going to smack me as well. But your internal fear would probably worsen because because you've compounded this now. I'm scared of spiders and I'm going to get smacked if I react. Oh my gosh, and that's so stressful. So when a rescue group adopts out a dog that appears to have its behavior problems solved by an e-collar, and now you will hear the word e-collar. It's electric shock collar. It's a remote collar. It's electric shock collar. Yeah, you need to know these terms because this is what they're using now. I think if they really believed in what they were doing, they should just say, shock. we do shock collar training. But they don't. And often they put a bandana over it so you can't see it because they know in general society does not accept that. They think it's incredibly cruel. And so, uh, you know, these problems being so-called solved with an e-collar trainer or aversive trainer, what they are really adopting out is a ticking time bomb. And in the same way that your fear of spiders would grow, that dog that has been adopted out is likely at risk for worsened aggression or fear. Yeah. As I've said many, many times to rescue groups, please just educate yourselves on behavior, training techniques, and have a full understanding of the dangers of e-collars, remote collars, shock collars. It's all the same thing. Dominance training. And set aside a budget to train yourselves. I know rescues really feel guilty if they don't spend every single penny on the animals. They feel like they're taking away. But trust me, if at the very least the founder of the rescue should get certified as a positive force-free dog trainer, that will be an investment in the animals. What will that will mean is you will train them in a great way where everyone participates and it is fun and you get to adopt them out and you don't have returns. So to me, that's a huge investment in the animals by you being trained yourselves. I think it's a wonderful thing. If anything, definitely it needs to be the founder of the rescue. You know they're not going anywhere. They're the ones that should get get qualified. Don't feel guilty about it. Education is so important. And I did hear a quote, and I can't remember who it was, but they said, you know, if you've you know, if you're using, you know, these kind of training methods, prong collars and, and shock collars, then you have not opened a book and educate and educated yourself in any way in 25 years when it comes to dog training. And I would say that it's, it's from another time. It's from another century. It's like stop using these terrible, terrible techniques because physically they're bad. Mentally, emotionally, they're very bad on these animals. And why would we want to do that? to our pets or potential, you know, pets for, for new families when we've got them in rescue. We wouldn't want to do that. And and just to reiterate, I don't believe anyone in rescue is there to harm animals want to do the very, very best of them. But education can get you in a bad way if you don't have any. It can get you down, go down a path that you do not want to go down because you do not know. Now, what if you don't have budget, this budget and you think, oh, my gosh, we just don't have the money. We scrape by every month anyway, which most rescues do. What you could do is you could look to partner with a volunteer trainer who is certified in force-free positive training. And there are some incredible, incredible certifications that mean a lot. They they bear a lot of weight in the industry. And I can put those links up for you if you're not sure what they are. I would have a lot of confidence in anyone that is certified in these certain organizations because I know the level of work and study and practical they've had to put in to get that qualification. And and I wish more and more people would do it. I really do. I think it's a, it's a horribly unregulated uh, profession and we see all kinds of dangerous stuff happening. And some people would just say, well, I always grew up with animals. <laughs> it's not a good enough qualification, I'll be honest with you. There's so much amazing studies going on right now for animals that never happened 10, 20, 30 years ago. It's phenomenal, the stuff we're learning. Fantastic. And, and you do need to be a part of that, whether you're in rescue or whether you're a trainer. You need to be up to date. So don't feel guilty. Put a little bit aside. And do what you can because it's going to be a wonderful investment in your rescue and into the animals that come into your rescue. And just know there is no quick fix. <laughs> Gosh, don't we all want that? But it just doesn't work that way. Training takes time, but the positive method is what you should adopt where dogs get to make choices and not to be scared into never making a move because they don't want to be zapped. They, want to, they don't want to be yanked on a prong collar. And uh, and you don't want to break that bond. You want a bond with your pet. That's that's the most one of the most amazing relationships you'll ever have in your life. And as I said, there's plenty of research 
plenty on the dangers of shock collars, and I'll post those links for you. Just know this, though, out of out of all the research, there's not one trial that says they're effective or safe, <laughs> put it that way. Now, Alex, in this, this article, I thought it was a great article, quotes the fabulous Ian Dunbar, someone you can follow when it comes to dog training. You find him on Facebook. This was a great quote. And he said, to use, shock, uh, to use shock as an effective dog training method, you will need a thorough understanding of canine behavior, a thorough understanding of learning theory, and impeccable timing. And if you have those three things, you don't need a shock collar. <laughs> I think it's a great quote. I, I just, I, he's right. All those, those things, put them in place, and you don't need to use a shock collar. I thought it was a great article, and I will post this link up for you so you can read through it. Well, let's go on to... Actually, you know what? Let's do it in this way because we're going to finish on a much better note because there's nothing nice about shot collars and prong collars. But if you don't know how bad they are, then we've got to talk about it, haven't we? We have to talk about it. Prong collars. I'm not going to go into great detail about this particular article, but I've never seen an article written in this way about prong collars. And the title was Why Prong Collars Hurt. And I thought to myself, okay. <laughs> Duh, isn't it obvious? It it hurts because prongs are sticking in their neck. Yeah, we do know that. But this came from a very mathematical perspective. Uh, I'd read the whole article, but I'm not sure. If you're not really into numbers and (laughs) equations and the word sum and formulas, then it's probably not the most exciting read. However, I've kind of condensed it a little bit. And of course, we know prong collars hurt. And some people will put the prong collars fairly loose on their dogs, but there are people also that actually put them on fairly tight and very high up, which means constant pressure on the neck. Now, what exactly is it that creates the pain? And I'm not going to go into saying the whole article because it can be a bit dry, you know, unless you love calculations. But basically, and not to oversimplify this article, Pressure, placement, distribution of the prongs and force were factors in calculating why they hurt and at the level that they hurt. And I think that's the most interesting thing. The very, the very end of the article concludes with this paragraph. In all cases, even considering the complexities of the math, and it was complex, I will tell you, the pressure on the dog's neck from the prong collar is much greater than that created by a flat collar, which is just your normal leather collar. The disparity in the surface area makes that fact inescapable. The pressure on the prong collar is concentrated into multiple small areas like spike heels instead of being dispersed. And in in my example, uh, she said, um, with blunted prongs of a medium size, and you can obtain prongs that are smaller and sharper, the pressure is 155 times that caused by a flat collar. That's that's the only number you really need to know about. 155 times. So when your dog pulls, that's the amount of pressure that's going to happen on their neck with a prong collar. And they are dangerous. They are dreadfully dangerous. They look like something from (laughs) the Tower of London (laughs) way back (laughs) a few centuries. Well, we really, we, we like to torture people. And you would think of the sickest way possible, and they would, they would create that torture device. And uh, prong collar is right up there with them, right up there. Uh, it's 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 time that they were banned. It's time shock collars were banned too. And so that's why prong collars hurt so much, so much. Most people say, oh, it's just a pinch collar. It's a little pinch. It's not a little pinch. It's hundred and fifty-five times that than if you actually had a black collar on your dog. It's something to uh, to ponder there. It's that's that's a that's a lot a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pain. We don't want to do that to our pets. Great article. I'll put that link up as say if you like numbers uh, and how she actually did the, this test. But um, even if you didn't know that number, most people can say that that hurts. I can see that. I see that would really really hurt um, because what they do is when you pull them, they also. Um, compress a little bit so just dreadful oh my goodness i did see a uh a video 
of a lady with a shot collar on her neck. Wow. Wow. In the end, she takes a rock and she smashes it up. Because this this should never be returned. She wasn't buying it. She, was actually, she didn't buy it for an animal. She was actually demonstrating on it. And she smashed it up. And she said, oh, my goodness. goodness they, they can't sell these. They, why are they selling these torture devices? It's dreadful. So, yeah. So, let's let's do away with that. You know, they're banned in many, many countries and it's it's time we got on board here, isn't it? Don't you think? We totally need to be done with all of that. Well, let's talk about something a little bit, bit you know, more fun. <laughs> let's talk about mushrooms. I don't mean the hallucinogenic ones at all. <laughs> what I do mean, though, is super immune mushroom broth for cats and dogs. If you can get your cat to eat it, it'll be amazing for them. Cats have a very, what's the word, refined palate. <laughs> cats have a very refined palate. You think you just had, oh, my cat's going to love that. And they go, oh, no, I'm not eating that. So if you can get them to take to the super immune mushroom broth, it's going to be very beneficial for them. And so here are the benefits. It supports the kidney and liver function. It improves skin and coat. It helps prevent viral infections. Contain they contain it contains antioxidants, improves overall health and aids in the fight against cancer. So great reasons to put this into your pet's diet. This is how you're going to do it. You're going to take a cup of medicinal mushrooms. It is medicinal mushrooms, either fresh or dried medicinal mushrooms. Depends on what's available to you, depending on where you are in the world. And those mushrooms are very specific it's the portobello the oyster the shiitake and the king oyster now you can add to those four mushrooms turmeric and you can also add ginger for an extra health boost there are many benefits to both of those um, ingredients and then what you're going to do is chop them up add some water cook them for 20 minutes let it cool Pop it into you know, like a bullet type blender, blend it up and store it in the fridge or you can pour it into ice cube trays. Now, here's your dosage. And this is from Dr. Karen Becker. Here's your dosage. It's a one tablespoon per 25 pounds of your pet, whether it's a cat or a dog. And then what you would do is from that starting point, you would adjust accordingly to the weight of your pet, whether it's up or whether it's down. And if you do ice cubes, just be aware that one ice cube is typically two t- two tablespoons. So you would have to, I would say, just buy smaller ice cube trays <laughs> if you needed to, if you've got tiny, tiny pets. You can get them at the really small ones, Ikea. But, you know, here's the way to do it. Even if you've got the big ones, you're just going to measure out what your pet needs and that, that will go into the ice cube uh, tray and then you know that when you pop one out, that's the correct um dosage for your pets now let's talk about mushrooms again let's go back to mushrooms <laughs> do not use any other mushrooms do not attempt to substitute do not pick wild mushrooms because we know they're toxic it's just the four portobello oyster shiitake and king oyster we don't want anyone trying to do their own thing we want to keep it safe and make sure that they get the full benefits of the correct mushrooms I'm going to try this weekend. Let's see. My two, they're not that picky. <laughs> they're not that picky. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see what that's about. Now, Galaxy was a different thing. Galaxy was very, you could give her the same treat every day for a month and she would still, mm, you know, well, I'm going to sniff that first. I'm not taking this on face value. I'll have a sniff first and then I'll decide if I'm going to eat it. And so she was very, 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 what's the word? Uh, well a bit wary i guess i guess she was quite the character so i'm going to try it over the weekend i'm going to let you know how it went down in my house which i have a feeling is going to be great i'm going to what i am going to do though because i've done frozen treats before and you think your pet is going to lick that little frozen treat like it's a lollipop you know like an ice cream lollipop no no mine tried to swallow them whole and i thought i don't know if i feel comfortable with them doing that you know a whole Icy, I'm not sure. So I think I'm going to go with, you know, the liquid form in the fridge. 
and see how they go with that because I do want my dogs to have all those wonderful benefits of mushrooms and supplementation is so important. I'm seeing so many more people get on board with supplementation. It's great to see. We just need to make sure that we get our pets at optimal health and functioning at 100%. And all these, uh, you know, these, you know, your golden paste and, and now your super immune mushroom broth, just great additions into their diet, you know, along with, you know, some fresh fruit and fresh veg. You have to make sure that the safe kind. Uh, it's amazing how you can improve their diet. You may not be able to go to, say, for example, a raw diet. You may not have the funds to do that. You may not have the funds to go to a better kibble, even though we try to say to people, try not to do kibble if you can't. But you, what you can do is you eat broccoli yourself, you eat blueberries yourself. Yeah, there's no reason why you can't chop up a little bit more and some carrots and, and add them in. Now, don't go crazy. They don't need human portions. <laughs> but you will improve your pet's diet instantly with fresh living food. And why would we not be doing that for our pets? I mean, it makes no sense, does it? So I will throw this recipe. It's very simple, isn't it? I'll throw this up on the on our Facebook page, basically. And it'll also be in the show notes. And and this, this is what you'll find is whenever we put the show up after the, after the live show and it goes out on all the podcast platforms, we do include show notes, which means all the links that you hear. So you don't have to grab a pen during the show and say, oh, what was that website again? I don't remember. We like to make it very easy for you to find everything that we talk about on the show itself. Well, I'm going to close out with, we talked about spiders earlier, actually, but uh, <laughs> I thought this was a funny little article. Turns out spiders have tiny paws and it may change the way you look at them. I did read some research on how people value insects and animals and it's based on how ugly or how good looking they are. Can you believe that? So people really fall in love with lions and tigers, but they find things like cockroaches and just like, oh, they're so ugly. So the popularity is very, very low, incredibly low. So I thought that was a very, very interesting little bit bit of research. But here are the spiders. It says, oh, and spiders just adorable. Well, okay, most cases are bloody terrifying, but that image might change when you take a closer look. So clearly somebody British wrote this, clearly. And this is as close as to where their feet should be, where you'll find that they have Paws. What? Spiders have paws. <laughs> there are some really close-up pictures. <laughs> Some made me shudder a little bit with it. That is the tiny hairs. Ooh, I'm still shuddering now. But they said in more scientific terms, a spider's paw is called a tarsus. Mm. And it's only one of eight parts that makes up a rather complicated leg. <laughs> That's a lot of... If there's, if there's eight parts to it, that, ooh, if you were to get injured and you're a spider... Oh, you could have all kinds of problems because you've got so many parts to one leg. Just like cats and dogs, spiders also have claws attached to their paws. Yeah, they're a bit creepy when you see them. But in their case, legs also work as ears and nose and no. Wait a minute, wait a minute here. The legs also work as ears and nose picking up. <laughs> I thought it meant nose picking. I'm like, no, spiders do not pick their noses. Surely. It says the legs are. <laughs> Never seen a spider pick its nose ever. Oh my goodness. And if you do, it was not brought up properly. <laughs> In their case, legs also work as ears and nose. Pick it. There should have been a, there should have been a comma there. <laughs> Picking up subtle changes in the air to hear and recognise smells. You see? Grammar's important, people. <laughs> Punctuation is important. Some of the pictures are kind of cute. It's the claw ones I'm having I'm having a bit of an issue with making me shudder but science aside these these things simply look adorable a fact that i hope to remember the next time i'm freaking out while looking at a spider in my kitchen <laughs> yeah they do look like a little paw with a couple of little claws creepy yeah I'm still i'm not yeah i'm not sure yeah no the claws i don't think it's really going to change how i feel about it. i'm getting whoa, shivers and <laughs> chills as i'm watching why am I torturing myself looking at all these pictures of spiders' legs and their little paws? They're very hairy, though. They're very hairy. Yeah. No, I don't think it really did change my perception of the little spider paws. I really don't. What were they called again? 
Tarsus. Tarsus. Yeah. No. I think, you know. They, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it, what, what people are scared of. You know what I don't like, actually? I, the way cockroaches move. Oh! And the shiny back. I can't take it, honestly. I, boy, I can't even. <laughs> Those, the way it moves... It really bother. They really bother me. It really bother me. Oh, when I lived in Hong Kong, wow. Let me tell you, I've never seen insects the size that they were in Hong Kong. It was mortifying, and so many of them that we could not identify. But I remember me, and my twin sister. We lived in. If you've ever been to Hong Kong, you will know, and you'll be horrified that we lived in ch chunking mansions. <laughs> I look back now, and I'm like. Yeah, we lived in a death trap, the famous death trap of Hong Kong, where everything and everything went on there. Drug deals, you know, you could, you know, people would take a tiny, tiny, tiny little room and make it into a restaurant, and it was a restaurant for two people. Uh, I can't even tell you the experience we had just living there. I think most of the windows were probably nailed shut, which was not good. And the don't take the stairs, whatever you do, because that's where all the drug deals are happening. I mean, but when we were living there, we were in this, this touring dance show and we were young and we were in Hong Kong. I mean, it's an exciting city. And we just kind of overlooked the fact we lived in this really weird place. <laughs> in a really weird place. So <laughs> we did see lots of insects. One of them, it was a strange red color and it, there's nothing worse than seeing it and then it disappears and you just know it's still in the room and it was horrible and we, we a lot of screaming that night between me and my twin because we shared a room oh it was horrible and isn't it funny how how the insects vary even in in different parts of the states here yeah, i mean they were a lot bigger in in nashville we lived there that humidity they're very very different out here we we actually don't have uh flea ticks we we don't have to do flea tick treatments here, which is great. The desert is super super dry, unless we actually went up into say Mount Charleston, where it's it literally goes from palm trees to fir trees, and and you will have to use some kind of a spray, temporary spray, while you're up there. Or if we went down to the beach in California, we'd have to do the same thing. But we lucky we don't have to do those treatments. Uh, but we do have other stuff, you know, tarantulas, <laughs> those chipmunky little things that are always on my back garden. So you will see. Rat, you know rattlesnakes yeah you'll see you'll see some other stuff that, that you don't see elsewhere but isn't it interesting how you know climate has a big uh is a big factor on the types of insects that you're going to see and how they thrive in certain climates so but yeah there, there you go now you know that spiders have little paws and that's just going to make your weekend well i'm so glad that you listened in today as we covered some not so nice nice topics but some people don't know. So if you get to learn that shot colors and prong colors are not good, I'm really glad you got to know that today. We can't judge people who don't know. You can't do that. You know, I always say you don't know what you don't know sometimes. And so that's why we like to put these topics out. Not always the, the jolliest. And of course, we talked about bacteria and poo again today. <laughs> uh, but, but be careful when you... Um, you know, if you were thinking of going to a pet store, I'm going to say don't do it. What I am going to say, though, is if you really, really, really feel that you need to go to a breeder, then you do need to find a reputable breeder. And what will happen is you will meet the mom and the dad and all the puppies will be in the home. That's important. And typically they only will breed once a year and you know, so if you do, we can't stop people from going to breeders, but if we could direct them in the right way, then that's, I think we have a responsibility to do that. Although we prefer that you rescue. Best feeling ever. Trust me, the best feeling ever. And what you do is you rescue two. So what, you, what you're doing is you rescue one animal and you open up a space from that shelter or that rescue for another animal to come in, which means you help save that animal's life too. And that is a great feeling. Well, if you've liked today's show, and you're listening you know, on your smartphone or your iPad, there's always the option to share. And we'd love it if you would share our show directly with your friends and family, particularly if you like the show. <laughs> 
That's the biggest factor. If you liked it, if you didn't, don't share it, <laughs> whatever you do. And do know this. We're active on all social media platforms and we really like it when you post the pictures of your pets. We do. But don't forget the names and just tell us how great they are and why you just love them so much. So never be shy about posting on our Facebook page. Tell us about your pets. We love to learn about them because, you know, they make us happy, don't they? They make us really happy. Well, remember, you can help an animal in need. Either rescue, adopt, donate, volunteer or share their information or volunteer to be their positive reinforcement trainer for a rescue or a shelter. Rescue your next family member, replace the word shop with adopt, and be kind to all animals. I want to thank you for being here today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Next week, Mr. Jim will be back in the studio with me and the dogs, and that'll be great. I'm so excited, and maybe he can tell you a little bit more about his Kennedy Center weekend and performing there with the National Symphony Orchestra. It's a big deal, isn't it? Really excited. Just really wish I could have been there. And yeah, so I don't have Jim pressing any buttons today. It's all me today. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm multitasking. And today you've been listening to Vegas Rock Dog Radio, where it's always all about our pets, people and pop culture. I'm your host, Sam, the queen of rock and roll dogs. And always kiss your pets. Good morning and good night. And I'll see you next time. You've been listening to Vegas Rock Dog Radio. Pets, people, pop culture. Visit Vegas Rock Dog Radio for more information. Find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And subscribe on iTunes and iHeartRadio. And remember, give your fur babies a big kiss from me, Sam, the queen of rock and roll dogs. You must not rely on the information in this broadcast from our hosts as an alternative to medical advice from your veterinarian. If you have any specific questions about a medical matter regarding your pets, you should consult your veterinarian or specialist. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.